Welcome back to episode 4 of Two Cops and a Donut. I'm your host, Dirk Mason, and with me always is Teddy Maxwell. On today's episode, we'll be discussing Laura's Donuts. In personnel files, we have more from Teddy's Military and my first Police Academy. Also, we'll end the episode with End of Watch and Pop Culture Corner. And now, the Donut of the Week. Mmm, donuts. Before we get to the Donut of the Week, I'd like to mention our sponsor, Bones Coffee. Dirk, we've been bringing up Bones Coffee quite a bit lately. Yeah, I uh, can't stop drinking it, man. I know, same here. Uh, <laughs> last week I mentioned quite a few of their specialty flavors. Um, I have a few more to mention. They have a very long list. Yeah, I want to hear a couple more. So they've got flavors like coconut rum, Highland Grog, and Highland Grog is a spiced rum flavor with notes of butterscotch and caramel. <laughs> they have French toast, which sounds really good. I want to try French toast. Uh, they have French vanilla, maple, bacon, bluesberry, which is kind of a take on Blues Brothers and Blueberry. Oh, okay. It's a blueberry flavor, and on the, the front of the package, it's cool. It has like a Jake and Elwood <laughs> bone skeleton thing. Chocolate orange, Irish cream, and peanut butter and jelly. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah, PB&J sounds really good. I think that's a really cool, uh, I don't know, it's an idea. That's a really cool idea for a, a coffee. Um, the one I am most excited about drinking, the one that I have actually recently ordered, is called the Electric Unicorn. What flavor is that? It is like a fruity, they call it a fruity cereal. I imagine it tastes like fruity pebbles. Just like the milk that they have or just? Yeah, I guess that has a hint of fruit to it. So I've read, I've uh, read, I've read, (laughs) excuse me, I've read uh, some very mixed reviews on it. Some people, I love fruity pebbles and like fruit loops and stuff like that. Yeah, me too. If I have like a sugar cereal I go to, that's my go-to. So this is very exciting for me. Some people say that it's like, it's too real for them really <laughs> yeah so i'm super excited about that and the artwork on the bag is so cool and um, they actually i think just um turned it into a coffee mug where you can get a 12 ounce coffee mug with the electric unicorn symbol on it and they have a really cool t-shirt too yeah, i saw that i just got an email update for that that's pretty cool yeah so they not only sell coffee they also sell merchandise too so you can get t-shirts you can get hats you can get coffee mugs and they're all i mean they're really cool add it to your wardrobe or to your uh, coffee mug collection I want a a shark bite coffee mug. That's what I really want. Right, and I was gonna bring shark bite up next week. That's one of the really cool um, the designs on that bag and the designs on that coffee. I mean, it's just so cool, isn't it? So I'm gonna bring that flavor up next week. Okay. So that is our sponsor, Bones Coffee. And if you'd like to pick up a bag or pick up any other merchandise, you can go on www.bonescoffee.com uh, for all your ordering needs. And if you guys don't know what flavors you want, do the sample bags. Get five sample bags, get them sent, try them out, and then you can buy a whole, what, one-pound bag yeah, after that. you can get so. your one-pound bags following that. Yeah. Now we're on to the donut of the week. What do we have this week, Dirk? Laura's Donuts. Looks like uh, you got them this morning, and it's from uh, 11804 East Oswego Street in Englewood, Colorado. How, uh, this is the one you've been trying to get for a while, right? Laura has been very evasive <laughs> as of recently. I've tried everything to get into this donut place. Um, by the, you know, I usually wake up around on my days off like nine, go work out, shower, do all that stuff. Then I had to go get donuts. But every time I've shown up at 11 a.m. noon, it's always closed because they've run out of donuts. And now you got up way early to go get them. I got up super early today. How to was, uh, how was your experience in there? So, I and I feel bad for Dirk because I got kind of an assortment. I don't like ordering assortments because I don't get to personally pick out what I get. Mm-hmm. I just said to the girl, hey, give me six managers. It's called like the manager's um, deluxe or something like that where you get six specialty donuts, six normal donuts. But there were so many... 
<laughs> there's so many like soccer moms in there this morning that were just like <laughs> basically i'm gonna get three dozen donuts and i'm gonna go down the glass partition and choose each donut individually it, it was so long and so annoying <laughs> like one woman took like five minutes of one of the employees times it was just it was obnoxious and you know she had to mention every donut like ooh, what's that one <laughs> Well, it's our fudge covered with jelly. Ooh, that sounds dangerous. I think I'll have one of those. <laughs> it was just super annoying. So I told the, the the girl, just give me an assortment. I didn't think she... When I say assortment, I mean, give me the best ones you have. Don't just choose the ones that no one else buys. A plain cake donut with a yeah. glaze on it. Open that box. Let's see it. So for the normal, <laughs> you know, for the assortment, you know, she gave us some fritters, which is cool, but she gave us just your a plain glazed... <laughs> A donut with chocolate frosting, like nothing really special. I guess nothing special about it. It was kind of weak well, in terms of the assortment. Out of the ones you got, what's your donut that you picked? The donut of the week I picked was the uh, the jelly. The jelly actually really reminded me of like a Krispy Kreme jelly, mm-hmm. it, but it was like three times the size. Yeah, it was a big one. I saw that. Me likey jelly donuts. <laughs> um, it was very soft. It was very chewy. It had a really really cool um, raspberry filling in it. It didn't have the bite that Krispy Kreme has, but the filling was really good. It wasn't just like Smucker's Jam that they just shot in there. Right. From like Tasty's, like you said. Yeah, because Tasty's, I think, had something like that. So the donut was actually really, really good. And we'll rank them in a minute. But that's my donut of the week was the raspberry filled jelly. How about you, Dirk? I saw that you got me a, well, I don't know if you got it for me or what, but it was a really long shaped uh, cinnamon twist with frosting on top and then shoved with a ton of uh what peanuts on top peanuts yeah and uh my grandpa used to call uh those fried cinnamons um (laughs) which it's just basically a cinnamon twist donut with your regular white or vanilla frosting on top and then just packed with peanuts on top Uh. and that was really good because it took me back to my childhood so i really like that and i dipped it in my bones coffee raspberry chocolate that i was drinking and it was delish oh yeah and i'm drinking uh strawberry cheesecake bones today too and it was really good yeah uh dirk tried to get me to dunk my donut into my (laughs) coffee i didn't do it but you made a very good point and brings you back to your childhood hey derek you want to go have a seat on the davenport and have a cinnamon twist (laughs) whatever he called it yeah um, yeah, my grandparents had some crazy names for stuff, so furniture and other things. So what do you think overall? I mean, you had that one. Uh, have you tasted any of the others? I haven't. I'm trying to stick to my diet more this week, so oh. that might be my only one. I swear, this podcast has taken years off my life. Yeah. As always, we're going to take photographs of the box and the contents of the box and post it on our Instagram and our Facebook page, so you guys can take a look at what Laura's has to offer. Because, you know, we say it on the podcast, but you don't really know until you see it. Yeah. And shockingly, people just like looking at donuts. <laughs> I find it's weird. Yeah, I saw uh, someone started following us on Instagram, and it's just like this huge donut. <laughs> like, I don't even know. I think it's just people who love donuts. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they post about donuts all the time, and they get they have a ton of followers. I'm like, what the heck? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I'd say this looks, uh, the, the box and the contents look very similar to Lamar's. Yeah. Because, again, we have an enormous box that's about the size of a garment box. It's huge. I think it's because of the fritters and, like, the long cinnamon twists. Right. You just can't fit them into our normal donut box. So well, I have to tell you, I had a friend that listened to the podcast uh, last week, and he was just like, dude, I was 10 minutes in. I wanted to go grab some donuts. So I told him, I was like, dude, go grab a freaking couple, you know, half a dozen and sit down and listen. So Yeah, and drink some coffee. I mean, I don't know what it is about donuts. I think it's it has the effect of, like, a sedative because <laughs> it, like, just makes you feel tired. Yeah. And having a cup of coffee kind of levels it out. It's like taking uppers and downers at the same time. <laughs> But there's something cool. You just relax, have a couple donuts, and chill out. Listen yeah. to two cups and a donut. Yeah. Well, and for me, it's it brings me like I said, it brings me back to my childhood. Like I used to, I used to go to my grandparents' house uh, often, and he would be like, "Hey, you want to go to the store and grab a donut? You know, yeah. so a fried cinnamon or a scone." <laughs> yeah, and Dirk's uh, grandfather was a, a farmer, so I mean, that's just like those hardworking people. I mean, that's like. You oh, get yeah. a quick cup of coffee, you get yourself a donut, and get to work. Those small town bakeries that made those awesome donuts. But uh, what's your what's your take on Laura's? Where are you going to put them in the ranking? So week one, we're going to recap a little bit. Week one, we had, what did we have week one? 
Dunkin's. Oh yeah, sorry. Week one we had Dunkin' Donuts. We have to write, we... start writing this down. No, once we get to like episode twenty, I'm gonna have to start writing this down. Yeah. Week one we had Dunkin' Donuts. Week two we had Krispy Kreme. Week three we had Lamar's. Yep. Week four we had Tasty Donuts. Now we're in week five and we have Laura's Donuts and Bakery Shop. Yeah. So, ooh, it's a tough one. Krispy Kreme number one, as per usual. <laughs> Um, I gave a tie to Tasty's and Lamar's last week yep. for number two. I'm going to keep that there. Oh. So Tasty's and Lamar's is always going to be interlocked in a tight number two. Runner up. Number three is going to be Laura's Donuts. And number four is going to be Duncan's for me. And Duncan's has fallen back. Way back. To the, to the caboose. Yeah, I think once we hit Entenmann's from like the local <laughs> King Supers, I think Duncan's is going to... Maybe take a... Yeah. How about you? What's what, uh, how are you going on this one? You know, I'm still gonna put Tasties at the top. Uh, so Tasty Donuts. I don't know why, man. It's just, it just has that hometown feel. Yeah, <laughs> Tasty Donuts, and then I'm gonna go with uh, Krispy Kremes again. I'm gonna go with Laura's with number three, and then what was the Lamar's? Lamar's number four, and then Duncan's for five. Really, you think um, Laura's is ahead of Lamar's? Yeah, I uh, that fried cinnamon took me back, man. That thing was awesome. So. Yeah, he took one bite of that thing, and like his pupils turned into hearts in his eyes. <laughs> he was just like, "Whoa, so good!" Yeah, and there's even a little piece left, so maybe I'll finish that. Yeah, go to town on that. I'm not, I'm not gonna eat that part. <laughs> that was the donut of the week. We have Laura's donuts. Yeah, if you're a local to Colorado, go and try them out. Up next, we have the personnel files, where we're gonna drop into uh, my military background and Dirk's first police academy. Yeah, stand by. Before we get into the personnel files, uh, this week we were supposed to have one of our guests, uh, one of our co-workers, Talbot McKinney, on the show to share some of his military and police background. But Talbot is obviously not here. What's going on with that, Dirk? Well, he's he's about as reliable as one-ply toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. He uh, kind of canceled on us last minute. So unable to be on, hopefully we get him at a later time. Um, but we're going to start this week's personnel files. What do yeah. we have, Dirk? So we're going to start yours uh, <laughs> with your special operations prep course, or SOPC. That's correct. So following graduation of Airborne School at Fort Benning, Georgia, we were summarily huddled into a classroom where the two largest Green Berets I've ever seen were waiting for us. <laughs> we'll call them Sergeant S and Sergeant P. They made the trip from Fort Bragg, North Carolina, to Georgia to, I guess, intimidate the ever-living shit out of us. So these guys are already Green Berets. Yeah, and they were going to be our cadre. They were going to be our like our instructors going forward. Okay. And Sergeant S, um, the only way I can describe him, he looks like a little roided-out member of the Bowery Boys. Like he's going to like pick your pocket and then like <laughs> choke you to death. <laughs> he's like a little gangster from like the twenties. And he's walking around the classroom, and the first thing he says is, I fucking hate 18 x-rays. And an 18 x-ray is the MOS job equivalent of a special forces recruit. Okay. He immediately showed his contempt for us right off the bat. You're saying uh, how how big were these guys? Uh, like, Describe their stature. Sergeant S was probably about 5'7", 200 pounds. He had like the straight paper-thin roided outlook, you know, blood pressure too high, red in the face. <laughs> Sergeant uh, P was enormous like 6'2 240 250 same look to him like i said he looked like arnold schwarzenegger's (laughs) dump like 43 years of like copenhagen cheap beer and steroids made him look like a fucking enormous turd so they were there and they intimidated the fuck out of us they basically told us the minute we get to fort bragg they are going to pts and smoke us until we get at least five guys to quit oh wow the following day we get on like one of those enormous coach buses and we head from Fort Benning, Georgia, to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, which I, overall is not that long of a drive. I don't think I think it's like eight to ten hours. On our arrival, um, they've held true to their word. I mean, immediately they got us all together and they smoked the ever living piss out of us. What'd I mean, hours do? and hours, log PT, all sorts of exercises I've never heard of, like Starburst with a twist, which is I don't know if you ever heard that term. I think I actually have. Yeah, servers of the twist is when you get in a squat position, you grab sand, and then you jump up in like almost like a spread out, like arms up in the air, 
feet spread, and it makes you look like a star. Yeah, I've heard of that. <laughs> and you're supposed to throw sand up, so you're sweaty, you're wet, you're covered in the sand. They did this for hours and hours and hours, and I think first day we had 20 people quit. Whoa, and how many people were in your... I think... I don't know. That's a good question because we had 129 to start in basic. A lot of those guys dropped out after airborne school. They were we got really intimidated by these guys. Um, maybe 80 or 90. Okay, that's a lot of dropout. Like. We had 20. Yeah, they we had this. They <clears throat> had this big makeshift green gong with a big green mallet, <laughs> and you'd go up to it and you'd hit it and you'd have to give the reason why you quit. Okay. So it was like some of the guys were just like, oh, I don't think I'm ready, and they're just their shoulders slumped, very very, you know, they seemed deflated and like their dreams were just going out the window, but they didn't have enough gumption to stay. One guy walks up and he goes, well, I'm just a pussy. <laughs> and he hit the gong. And he hits the gong and they go, well, we got one honest guy here. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I, I've watched the uh, Navy SEAL like training video mm-hmm. or whatever whatever they have. Is it kind of like that? It's similar. Obviously, you're not at the water. We're in North Carolina. Right. On a base. It wasn't like that. They have the logs. They have... They, they just continue going. There's no end. It's not the police force where it's like you work a 10-hour shift and you're gone. I mean, they could start at one hour one and you could be going hour 24. And that's the part that's scary is you just don't know. It's the not knowing of when this is going to end. But you select it, right? You choose to go there. Yeah, you cho- we chose to be there. So what happens to the guys when they leave and they choose to leave? So there, uh, in a big misconception is, is you sign, if you're an 18 x-ray like I was, if mm-hmm. you sign a special forces recruit contract if you quit it doesn't mean like oh we're gonna wash our hands of this and you go home and you're out of the army right you just go to you've been trained as an infantry guy and an airborne guy so you typically go to the 82nd airborne or the 173rd airborne okay and you just your needs they call it needs of the army your needs of the army so you go wherever you're needed uh, okay yeah, yeah that's i was i was curious about that because i i mean all you i mean that's a huge thing to get into dude know, that's your special life. forces so it's very huge, but the thing in the back of my head, I always had the knowledge that if I quit, then I would be summarily shipped off to a unit and be a normal army guy. Yeah. Why would I want to do that? I don't know. That's a that's another thing. Is like the people that go up there and hit it and say, "Oh, I'm not ready." Well, you're just gonna go be in the infantry anyway, so why not be in a special unit? Well, shockingly, a friend of mine did do that. <laughs> he was young. He was 18 years old, and he had a ranger contract. He opted out after airborne school and said I wasn't ready, and he eventually became a Green Beret. Oh, he did okay. three years in the normal army. He was, you know, he was about 21, 22 when he, you know, he grew up a little bit, became a little more mature, and then you know became a Green Beret. Hmm. So anyway, that's at Fort Bragg. When okay. you get to Fort Bragg, that's where we're housed. Sopsy actually takes place out at Camp McCall, which is located about 15 to 20 miles from Fort Bragg. It's a small military base, and the only reason it exists is to train special forces guys. Hmm. So that's where Sopsy took place. Sopsy basically was, have you ever seen the movie The Hunted with Tommy Lee Jones? Oh, yeah. And they show the, the little cl- clips of them sitting in circles, like <laughs> carving knives and stuff. And oh, yeah. You, a lot of people expect like special ops to be that way, and it's not. Everything is done under high stress, high pressure. Sopsy was the only uh, exception to that. Sopsy was actually very low pressure. The main goal of Sopsy is to get you in shape and to really hammer home those basic skills so you can pass SFAS, which is Special Forces Assessment Selection. Okay. That's basically the selection tryout process. It's a prep course for that. It's a huge advantage because that's where selection takes place, Camp McCall. So you get the opportunity to train there for a solid month, low stress. You get in the best shape of your life. I can give you kind of a schedule so you can see what like what we did daily. Yeah, I got a question before you start that. Is that a, like, did you, when you went through it, were there people that like took advantage of it and were like, I'm not going to like work out as hard and then it, they struggled no, you. I mean, you have to work out. Okay, so they're they're all. It's not like they leave you to your own devices. You have a, a strict schedule. You just have more downtime, and they're not screaming at you about everything. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you know, like a typical schedule is like wake up at six a.m. You prepare for PT at six thirty. You conduct a four to six mile run or a six to ten mile ruck with a forty five pound pack. Okay. <laughs> uh, Nine to twelve, you take classes on basic soldier skills and special forces history. We even watched the um, the Devil's Brigade, which is an old timey. Special Forces, it's the origin of Army Special Forces. Mm-hmm. You even watch stuff like that. Then you go to lunch from about noon to one. Then you do classes from about one to three p.m. Following that, more PT. It's like push-ups, sit-ups, tire flips. You go for another run, another ruck. And then following that, you go to dinner at like 5 p.m. Following dinner at 5 p.m., the time is yours. Okay. And there's no fire guard. There's no being woken up at night. I'd go to sleep at around 7 p.m. and wake up around 
5.45 a.m. Oh, so you at least get some good rest. It, yeah. In, like, you eat good food. You're there. It builds you up. It builds your body up. And you you're really start hammering home things like land navigation, map reading, stuff that you need for selection, which is the next phase. Okay. Monday through Friday, that's a Monday through Friday thing. You're there Monday through Friday. Friday afternoon is kind of like a half day. You're mm-hmm. there until about one or two, and then they take you back to Bragg, and then you basically have the weekend off. You have Saturday, Sunday off, and it's like, when you're 21, 22, 23 years old, I mean, it's like Animal House without the class <laughs> of sophistication. It's just like a shit show of drinking and debauchery. So could you go off Bragg at yeah. that point? Oh, okay. Yeah, you're left to your own devices then. From my understanding, they've changed the name of the course in recent years. It's called Special Forces Prep Course now, SFPC. And from my understanding, you're there for the entire four weeks. Oh, so you don't leave. Chemical, you don't leave. But they still have the, the, the reins are loosened on you a little bit. You have a post exchange. It's a mini one. It's like a little metal shack. You can get candy, soda, drinks, stuff like that. Your commissary. <laughs> yeah, your commissary. Um, and that's pretty much it. I mean, by the end of that, you are extremely in unbelievable good shape in just a month in just a month yeah i mean you built two a days (laughs) you built your feet up you've you know what i mean when i say that is like you built calluses so you don't rub blisters you've run the same trails you know all the courses you've done it all so really really prepares you for selection and we'll be going over selection on our next episode our next podcast nice yeah Yeah, that's awesome so that is sfpc to all you peeps out there next we're going to be discussing Dirk's first police academy. Yeah, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Santa Fe, New Mexico. What do you got for us, Dirk? So, Teddy, uh, we left off with my end of my, I guess, training, where I was on the road for four months before I went to the police <laughs> academy. Um, Fucking ridiculous. Yeah, and this, like I was saying before, it, it was crazy, man, being on the road without any, like I thought it was crazy, being out on the road with basically little to none training like not only is that a lot of liability that had to be kind of scary yeah it was and i didn't tell uh i didn't tell you last week but my first call when i got out on the road by myself was a double shooting so yeah what are you thinking at that point yeah i was just like holy shit you know like it put it into like a reality check i was just like damn you know and you're pretty much just following like other officers to see what they how they conduct themselves and what they do right yeah i mean at that point that's all you have yeah, it was a basically you ha- you were forced to learn, and if you didn't, it didn't work out, and you would basically quit. So yeah, it's either you quit, get fired, or get shot. Yeah, and the the reason why they did that, I think, too, is because so many people were washing out at the academy. This, and that's not that hard. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's not hard. The academy's not difficult. Yeah, uh, I don't. Know. It was crazy. Um, so we left off four months. I was by myself, um, and I had to continue training. So every every two weeks, the police department gave me a physical test i had to do the run sit-ups and push-ups because they wanted you to because when your your first day when you reach the academy that's what you did you have to do an entry-level pt test and you had to pass to stay there how often were you doing those it was uh, twice a week so or, sorry excuse me it was um twice a month so, so every other week for if you a- failed one pt test in the two like any of those you get the boot they would do like basically at the um, police department, if you didn't pass, you would have to like do red workout regiments with the training coordinator at the police department. Right. So it's basically like remedial yeah. PT training. You weren't going to fail out, but they were just like prepping you. And the reason why is because where I was, it was 3,500 feet above sea level. And where we were oh, yeah. going in Santa Fe was 7199 above sea level. So, And we're in Colorado and like... I reached the top of a flight of stairs and I'm like sucking for breath. And what are we at? 65, 6,800? Uh, a mile well, high? Mile high is 50. 5280? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. And that's 2000, almost 2000 more than that. And yeah. it was a shocker when I got there. Cause I'm like, holy crap. And I even had a buddy um, that I worked with give me one of those elevation masks mm-hmm. to run with. So that helped me a lot. To, to train prior to going? Yeah. Okay. So uh, after that, so first day at the academy, you do your entry level PT test, you pass it. And as soon as that you do that, they have all your uniforms picked out, and the director actually came out, who was an army retired army colonel. Okay. Uh, I'm not gonna say his name. I'm gonna say his name because he was like the coolest guy ever. His name was Jack Jones. And you got nothing negative to say about him. It's all positive. It sounds like. I think unfortunately he passed away from cancer, um, and he's no longer there. But that guy was the coolest guy. He was like a hard ass to your face, but like you know you're standing in line for lunch or something, he'd come up to you. Hey, you know, Dirk, how you doing? 
and <laughs> be like the coolest guy ever. Yeah. And that's, I, I would say he probably acted that way towards you because he saw that you were in shape, squared away, had potential. I'm sure he wasn't that way with people he felt that were unfit for, to be a police officer. Yeah. And he saw, he saw me hanging out with another guy that I, uh, I bonded with really well and he, he could see that I was a jokester. So he, sure. he called me out a lot to do stuff, but it wasn't like to put me out on the spot because I didn't know is because he called me out because I did know and pe- people could see that. So Right, sure. So our academy class was about 75 people. And then the first day, man, he just like started screaming, you know, get in formation. We didn't know how to do formations or anything, you know. And when you say 75, you guys were kind of a, a mixture of people that were going to be spread out to a number of different agencies, right? Yeah, we had Farmington, uh, Las Vegas. Um, there was like Taos, like a bunch of different police departments that were sent to this regional academy. When he says Las Vegas, he means Las Vegas, New Mexico, population <laughs> six, yeah. not Las Vegas, Nevada. And there was two guys from Las Vegas, uh, New Mexico, and both the guys that were from there were cool as hell. And I still talked to one of them, so... Yeah, anyway, they uh, they start yelling at us, and I remember um, one of my friends, I'll talk about him later, Gio, he uh, he told me, you know, don't lock your knees while you're standing in formation. You pass out. Yeah, and there's a couple guys, um, like you said, the, the combined people in the academy were also people from, like, parks and... Uh, I, don't, I don't know what it's even called. Right, like state park rangers yes. or something like that they have law enforcement abilities the, the parks department yeah <laughs> um but yeah i remember the first guy that was from the parks department locked his knees and passed out immediately <laughs> <laughs> he's like standing like knees slightly bent locks them just keels over oh yeah it was uh i mean we'd just done our pt test we rush oh. in get our uniforms on come out stand in formation and you see the wobble side to side and so you have the stress mixed with the physical exhaustion, dehydration, plus he locks his knees and cuts off the blood supply and just passes out. Yeah. And I'm sure you saw that in the military, too. Oh, all the time, yeah. My academy was different than what I heard from other police academies and what we've done here in Colorado. Okay. Way more physically demanding. Like I told you, it was a live-in academy. I was up there for six months. That sucks. We were home. So Friday would be kind of like a shortened day, like your training was, but maybe get out around three ish okay and then i would have to drive i mean the place where i was living was almost three hours away from there oh so when you say living you weren't staying there over the weekends nope i actually got to go home friday afternoon stay saturday but i would have to be back sunday night by 9 p.m so i guess my question is is did they have guys that were maybe out of state that didn't have a residence elsewhere yet that could you could you stay there over the weekend no you could not because no one was there dude that sucks yeah you're actually wasting money on rent or a mortgage for a place that you're spending two days a week or a day and a half a week there for the first six six months. months yeah it was brutal i actually lived with someone who was really cool and he only charged me a little bit of rent but still like, it sucked. And you're not making a lot of money at that time. No. What's your hourly wage while you're in the academy? Uh, we were sixteen fifty an hour. Oh, <laughs> 40 hours a week? I mean, do the math. That's not yeah. a lot. And no overtime was granted for the academy. Even if we went over and we had to stay, you know, Friday at midnight. Would they just duty adjust you and then, or they just... Nope. Just kind of, Yeah. Okay. Where you're getting paid the same while you're in the academy period, 40 hours. Sure. No, No more, no less. Even if we got out early, I mean, that would be a benefit. But, you know, there was a couple times where they're like, hey, it's going to storm. You need to leave early. So, but continuing on, did our ground tactics, firearms, all that in the academy. But the difference between that was we woke up, screamed at, you know, our beds got tossed. We had to remake them, shower, go work out, come back. And our beds would be tossed again after that. And Some real uh, full metal jacket shit, huh? Yeah. That you, John Wayne? Is this me? Who said that? Who the fuck said that? Who's the slimy little communist shit twinkle toad cocksucker down here who just signed his own death warrant? Nobody, huh? The very fucking godmother said it. I'm fucking standing. I will PT you all until you fucking die. I'll PT you until your asshole for sucking buttermilk. Was it you, you scroungy little fuck, huh? Sir, no, sir. You little piece of shit, you look like a fucking worm. I bet it was you. We'd go march to breakfast Mm -hmm. come back we'd get maybe about a half hour and then we'd start our classes after that okay we'd have about maybe i guess we'd start around nine because that's when normal like the normal instructors would show up from other agencies right uh they'd train us till about 11 30 we'd get smoked (laughs) 
and right before lunch, right before you sit down to have a nice meal, you know, in the chow hall. So you're drenched in sweat, uncomfortable, yeah. sitting down eating. Did and you have a lot of time to eat or? Um, yeah, they gave us about 45 minutes and it was, un- oh. it was uninterrupted, but. That's good. The worst part about that was no caffeine, no, like, nothing outside of what you could have, you know. It was just chow hall food and that's it. I wonder... I mean, I wonder why. That's just, that's odd to me. I mean, they're acting like they're like Puritans or something. That's weird to me. Yeah, and I don't know if that was the army colonel's thing that he wanted. He No soda, no nothing with like, no extra sugar. He didn't want, he wanted everybody to be in, in shape. I'm sure it worked. Yeah, and I I'm mean, a, when they cut you off from that stuff, I mean, your body react, especially with how much PT, I mean, you must have been really lean and in really good shape. Yeah, and I'm about 5'6", five, 5'7", five, normally like a 150, and mm-hmm. I came out of that academy weighing like 130. Damn. Yeah, so I was really, I was tiny when I came out. But your average stuff with pepper spray, shooting, arrest control, they really honed in on like, it's PPCT and like a... What is that? So it's pressure point control tactics. Oh, okay. It's one of the things that they do for uh, other agencies do it as well but well let me ask you this you just mentioned this you did both the taser and Mm. the pepper spray so you went through that you got tased and pepper sprayed correct yeah and the worst part was before i on my four months before the academy the police department had to do that to me because i had to be on the road now Four you, months before the academy. So how how long have you been doing? Like, I'm, this is like what you're you've done it four times now. Yeah. Jesus Christ. So what would you give me your experience? What would you rather? First off, what would you rather have? Would you rather be tased again or pepper sprayed? Rather be tased a million times than pepper sprayed. So explain when you get tased, how long does it last? So taser deployment. What they do is there's usually an option you can have it like gator clip to your clothes or you can have the barbs like actually physically go into you well they didn't even give us an option you're getting shot with it because they want you to feel the complete effects sure yeah it's five seconds it feels like a really long time but once it's done it's done there's no after effect and (laughs) you know what's going next the pepper spray yeah and the oc spray you've been pepper sprayed so you know how that feels i've been tased multiple times and pepper sprayed before yeah and i mean what would you rather have done to you you know my answer i mean (laughs) tasing's bad and i got a pretty bad when i got tased i had a pretty bad when you get tased the closer the barbs are together the, the less basically control you have or the more control you have over your body. You can move. It just hurts really, really bad. When you have a large spread of the taser probes, then your body completely locks up because it creates that long current throughout your body. So I had mine like at the top of my shoulder and like down into the lower part of my thigh <laughs> on the other side of my body. And I was, you you were there. You yeah. heard me. I let, let out a Herculean Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> growl. Chewbacca. Yeah. yeah. I would 100% rather get tased than pepper sprayed, but I want to hear your, you know, you and I have never talked about your first experience of pepper spray. I did mine outside of my police department the very first time, and they're just like, hey, face me, keep your eyes open, and they (laughs) (laughs) spray you across the face, and then I literally, like, had one eye open, and he's like, oh, looks like that other, I didn't get it enough, so goes over it again. I'm like, crap. And you know, it's not, it's that initial when your eyes open and the oxygen hits your eyes is the worst. It feels yeah. like daggers going in there. So and what do they do? What The point is when they pepper spray you, what are you supposed to do immediately following getting pepper sprayed? So it's just you're supposed to control your breathing, make sure that, you know, you don't hyperventilate or whatever. Just keep calm and, like, work through the pain. Okay. Um, and do they have a task for you to do? Do you have to fight someone? Do you have to... I didn't have to at the police department. It mm-hmm. was just uh, identification stuff. So like my training supervisor would come up and give me like an object to identify. Mm-hmm. He gave me like three or four objects to like make prior eyes open, look at it, identify it. And then, you know, you're <laughs> like, what's this? Oh, it's an apple. <laughs> right. <laughs> or something. You know, and it doesn't seem that hard, but when you're it's i don't know how to describe it the pain is almost it's unbearable and you can't get away from it for the least the first 30 to 40 minutes yeah it's it's incapacitating and for whatever reason it does not work on suspects (laughs) no and most of the people that are work pepper spraying on the road is you know 90 percent of them are under the influence of something so and i understand that but it's like how do you function so well without the use of your eyes and all that i guess the pain isn't hitting them the way like the pain receptors yeah because the pain is so like excruciating, I think that I wouldn't be able to. After ten seconds, I, I mean, I'm useless. 
Yeah, and maybe maybe if we had a twelve pack of beer and a you know <laughs> a shot of meth that we would yeah. not feel it. But man, I don't know. I can't describe that pain. It's it's horrible. I, I don't ever want to do it again. And I've done it four times. So I've only been pepper. Well, I've only been pepper sprayed in the department once. I got pepper sprayed when I was a teenager during a fight, which is a whole other story. <laughs> but that's just. That's crazy, man. Yeah, and like we said before, the tasing and the pepper spray, I would I would get tased 10 times before I would get pepper sprayed by like a, just a little squirt of that stuff. Yeah. I don't want to even be around it. And I don't like people that I'm working with that carry it because if they, they spray it, it's going to go in your eyes somehow. They get you. You get part of it, the particles go into the air and you you feel it. Yeah. So the whole point of that is to just fight through it and make sure you you know that if it happens to you mm-hmm. out on the road, that you're prepared to deal with it. Okay. And before we finish up this section, we're going to break Dirk's police academy training, his first one, into several parts. He's He's got a lot to talk about in terms of this. Oh, yeah. So I just have one last question for you. Your classroom stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you, like, what are the hours of that? Are you typically in the classroom a lot of the academy? Yeah. So it, normally the morning, you know, you start off at nine, do your first class, go to lunch, march to lunch, come back from lunch, and you would go back to your barracks. They would smoke you again after you eat because that's just they love to make you reason. feel horrible after you eat a good meal. <laughs> yeah. But my meals consist of salad, cottage cheese, peanut butter, and oatmeal, and that's about it. It's probably the only thing that you get. You know, when I was in basic training, they used to do that. I would get, I would eat stuff first that was fast digesting because mm-hmm. I knew I'd be throwing up the other stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, and then after we got smoked in the afternoon, it was either more classroom from mm-hmm. from like one to five. Or normally we'd do a rest control, like rolling on the mats for about four hours. Ugh. Yeah. Dude, that stuff, it doesn't sound bad, but that stuff's horror. That just sounds fucking terrible. Yeah. So, and then right around 4 or 5.30, they would break down. We'd do another smoking. Maybe mm-hmm. if they had scheduled PT, it would start around 4 o'clock. And then we would go for about a 4 to 8 mile run through nice. the arroyos. And what time of year were you there? Um, It was... Uh, july when i started so it was pretty hot yeah damn yep so i'll save the rest for next week and we'll go from there and that concludes our personnel files for the week and what do we have coming up next dirk we have the 2012 hit end of watch in our pop culture corner we have end of watch so stand by for that gem i am police officer two brian taylor this is my partner officer zavala i'm in my chonies i know dude come on come on i'm in my chonies no 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 come on man we were basic patrol here at Newton, one of the toughest divisions in the LAPD. Take pride in what you do, you guys. Yes, sir. I got him, I got him. Try to run, try to run. Pit him, man, pit him, pit him. You know, I see you guys out here being good little company, man. It's all fun and games. You get to run and jump and fight and shoot. I'm done with that. Watch your six. Everybody here is family. You know I love you, man. I would lay down my life for you, dude. Hey, partner, what's up? I want to have a daughter, man. That'd be so cool. Just don't let her date cops. She's not dating anyone. Okay. Ever. <laughs> 105 North Avenue, 15 Sanctuary 13, Roger. What are we looking for again? Dope, money, and guns. Hablas inglés o español? Good! You good, partner? I'm good. What? You got more bling than the old lady's wedding ring. That guy is into something. You're not a detective. Follow me into the house. Oh my god. Be careful. You just tugged on the tail of the snake. It's gonna turn around and bite you back. You think I know we're rolling up on? Every day feels the heat in the city. Like put your hands over your head, get up. Cartels are operating here. They operate by a different set of rules. So why do they call you Big Evil? Because my evil's big. You're my brother. If anything happened to you, I would take care of your kids. Word is, we got a hit on y'all, man. Y'all been greenlit. We're cops. Everybody wants to kill us. Whoa, 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 whoa. 13 X-ray 13, suspect running on foot. Look at me. We're shooting our way out of here, bro. Okay. On three, dude. You're gonna empty your mag and run. One, two, three. 
End of Watch is a 2012 American crime drama directed by David Ayer and starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena. This movie follows two LAPD patrol officers as they navigate gang-infested South Central. This movie primarily focuses on the friendship and trials of two junior officers as they attempt to balance their personal lives with the lives of being a police officer. Dirk, what do you think, man? Man, I remember when this movie was coming out in 2012, and I looked forward to it just because David Ayer directed... Uh, Training Day, and yes. I really like that. And following that, he did. He David Ayer is awesome. He did Fury with Brad Pitt. Yeah, he did this movie. Every movie I've seen that David Ayer's done, it's been excellent. Yeah, there was a there's one <laughs> Street Kings that I wasn't really fond of with uh, Keanu Reeves. Oh, he directed that. Yeah, yeah, no bueno on that one. No, nah, that was a fallout. But you know, this is m- the most realistic cop movie I think that is made. Agreed. You will never find a more realistic police officer movie particularly when it as it pertains to like being a patrol officer yeah as this movie i would say the only downside and the only unrealistic part is the fact that they in the span of like six months they get through about 30 years worth of a career in terms of like the high risk things that happen to them and the things that you know they can do themselves right and i i don't know what it is like in south central but they do go through a shitload of stuff within their first couple months i mean that you see yeah multiple shootings lots of drug busts they're young you know that's one of the one, one of the things i wanted to point out in the movie he mentions that he's a police officer too i don't know how the ranking system works in lapd but you are under the impression that they're two to three year cops like two to three years out of the academy right and that's brian and miguel or z mike zavala right michael pena's character so they're partners and they ride together every day yeah and the biggest thing that stands out to me is the camaraderie of the two together <laughs> and i was watching an interview with michael pena and jake gyllenhaal and actually michael pena admitted that he was like really hard to work with like starting out in this film because he didn't want to he didn't want to get close to jake gyllenhaal to have that buddy relationship which i thought was kind of strange like he was afraid like he'd after filming he'd lose his best friend and <laughs> or what no, i think it was more like he had jake gyllenhaal was more up like to open up and michael pena was closed off he didn't really want to i don't know it was hard for him i guess yeah i read something about that saying that they didn't get along that well first not that they hated each other it was just like you said kind of struggled to have that like organic hey i'm like one of your best friends vibe to it and then by the end i heard they were like extremely close yeah i mean we always wanted and like, that's the first thing that david ayer says we want you guys to be like brothers and i wasn't the easiest person to work with i'll be honest i was you know it was whatever i mean but i was a little closed off you know what i mean like it wasn't as easy for me for some reason it just like uh i don't even know whatever i tried i tried but uh you know with the help of david ayer and, and jake like it really like i started opening up a little bit more and then after like two months it was cool. It was like, you know, I felt like, I think it was in the third month, we felt mm-hmm. like, started feeling more like brothers. And then with the tactical training that we did and, you know, a lot of this, the sparring and, you know, and, you know, rehearsals, ride-alongs too, like seeing all this crazy stuff. Yeah, I think that was one of the best things about it is that they got really close. Yeah, it felt like they were best friends. Right. You know, the way the dialogue was written was excellent in terms of having that natural friend dialogue. Yeah, and we work together a lot. They ride together every day, so they're beat partners. Um, I mean, when you and I get to ride together, that's like one of the best parts. It makes the job go by so much faster, and it's way better. The stories they tell in the movie to each other and just the random bullshit they talk about, like (laughs) Starbucks coffee and going to quinceañeras and just, you know, you know, the first time he hooked up with his wife and things like that. Like that's the stuff you learn about your partner when you're, you know, riding together every day. You're spending 40 hours a week with that person in a car. So you have no choice but to really get to know them. Dude, are you going to hook up with a Mexican girl? You're trying to hook me up with them, dude. Dude, it'd be great if you did. I get it, man. Sweet brown sugar. You should marry one of my cousins. If they're anything like you, I wouldn't be able to stand an hour with them. <laughs> Waking up in the morning, they'd be like, Hey, can I tell you a story? I know. Here's a story about this, and a story about that, and a story about this, a story about that. And, but dude, all you, you gotta do is this. All you gotta that. do is this. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. You wanna come to my cousin's quinceañera, my daughter's quinceañera, my brother's quinceañera, yeah. my sister's quinceañera. There's always something happening, though, bro. It's better than like, hey, do you know the new kind of flavored coffee I have? Oh, do you really? like this kind of coffee? The baristas are excellent. You like coffee, dude. Don't give me that. I like good Starbucks coffee. Whatever, I'll let you lay into me. Lay into me, dude. 
Yeah, so. and that's the best part about the job. If you do get a, to ride with someone, I mean, if you make that bond, you know, you and I work together. We don't even have to talk. We can just go through on a call, and it's just wham, bam. You know what the other person's thinking, too. So. Totally, and they, again, I can't stress enough how well they do that in this movie. And you can tell they're two to three-year cops. Right. Straight up with how motivated they are, how they kind of want to make a name for themselves in the department by doing these big drug busts and they're trying to help their careers in that way. And then you have the perfect salty <laughs> FTO played by, played by David Harbour named <laughs> Officer Van Hauser. Uh, what can you say about him? I mean, I've seen people like him, uh, even on our department, that are just, they're salty. They're like, hey, watch your six. Don't fuck up because the department... <laughs> Like he says, we'll fuck you. You know, I see you guys out here. You're being good little company men, aren't you? You're doing the Lord's work and you're making a difference, as you call it. It's all fun and games to you. You get to run and jump and fight and shoot. One day, mark my words, one day the LAPD is going to bend you over your black and white and they are going to fuck you up the ass. They are going to fuck you so long and so hard, you're going to want to eat your gun just to make it stop. And if... If you don't eat your gun and the fucking somehow magically stops, <laughs> they're gonna give you freeway therapy. You're gonna end up doing West End Valley Day Watch, spending two hours every day on the fucking freeway just thinking about the fucking that they gave you. Bad guys attack from up front, the apartment comes in from the rear. Watch six. I mean, He's, he mentions it when they're looking at the that burnt-out minivan. Sure. He's just like, hey, man, the LAPD, they don't have your back if you screw up. Well, you see his attitude towards them because they're super hard-charging, and they're like, we're going to go out, and we're, we're making a difference. Right. And he's the guy that you can tell maybe eight or nine years before was he was in their shoes, and he felt the way they did until things like he said, if they don't get you on the street, the department's going to get you. Right. And he's, it's so accurate. I mean, I've met so many cops like that. I mean, uh, I'm getting to the point where I'm more Officer Van Hauser than I am Brian Taylor and Michael Zavala. Yeah, because, I mean, we've been through some stuff too that, I mean, frankly, it stands out to you to where you're like, uh, you know, this is, it's serious. You got to start thinking about, is the hard charging worth it? Or is it, do you, do you sit back and wait for the people to call in and then you handle what you can that way? Sure. So they get into a lot of very, very high-risk things, multiple shootings, drug busts, things like that. They get under the microscope of a very well-known gang, the Curbside Locos, <laughs> who are basically being contracted by a drug cartel and probably the Sinaloa cartel. They don't really mention it. Yeah. Um, because they're kind of throwing a monkey wrench into all their business. So they kind of catch the eye of a big gang who ends up targeting them. Yeah, and every you can see as it develops when they even start in that little squabble with the that one guy um, yeah trey he was like a part of the bloods you know set and again a very <laughs> simple call you go on he's bugging the mailman right tell him to stop and then it gets in his verbal thing and he starts throwing some racial slurs at z and z <laughs> resorts his old street yeah. habits by saying let's duke it out yeah calls him out uh, i mean that's like one of the most unrealistic things to that part of the movie but yeah it starts out right there to where they get in and then that night they that gang comes and shoots up trey and his like the gang. blood set yeah. yeah so it's basically the um mexican or hispanic gangs the curbside locos are basically trying to gain territory over the, the african-american the black gangs the blood set and right. then they end up shooting it up with like an ak-47 yeah, and that beat that they're working, and that's directly where everything is happening. So they're not the only unit there, but it seems to just all the problems fall to Z and Brian Taylor. So they, the reason they're being dealing with it is they're not answering calls for service. They're actually <laughs> dodging calls so they can get into the shit. Right. Try to make a difference. I think they're doing it because they're idealistic and they're trying to make a difference, and they really are trying to. They, they they crave that excitement, and they're trying to make a name for themselves on the LAPD. Yeah, and when they get when they get into finding some of that stuff, they stop and they're they're watching through binoculars at that one guy that's involved with the cartel, and they find Liberace's AK and all that drug money and stuff. So. Sure, yeah, they're camped out down the street, basically running on patrol in a marked patrol vehicle, <laughs> running surveillance on a big evil's home. Right, and he sees his mother bring out something to looks like a, a runner a drug runner and they decide to stop him and then they get into some more stuff but a pot of pasole is that what it was <laughs> i don't know it was yeah it was like a mexican dish with a ton of money inside yeah 
And they just start, it's because of their, their motivation and it's because of their proactivity that they start really catching the eye of some bad people. Right. You know, I've never personally felt, you know, even when we have drug busts and we get guns off people, I've never felt personally that. Like targeted. Targeted because we don't hit stuff that big. Right. And that's one of the probably the most unrealistic things. As a patrol officer, yes, you might get something like that once or twice in your career, but not like daily. Yeah. And that's a, you know, in my time spent in New Mexico, I've seen a couple cartel killings, which are crazy. But I think that just they're so big that they're not going to single out just me. You know what I mean? If I'm, I'm not busting them for anything either, but I'm just running into the stuff, the aftermath, I guess. Well, imagine if someone's running cocaine or heroin across the border, even if you get 30, if 70% is uh, seized, excuse me, and 30% gets through, the profit is still through the roof. Right. They're expecting a ton of loss through people getting arrested and getting busted and getting murdered, getting robbed, stuff like that. Yeah. So one of the best things about the movie is the POV, how it's shot, you know, the personal view and we mentioned earlier that they budgeted seven million for this film and made what they're 53 yeah 53 mil worldwide so for the budget and how it went down i think it was a great aspect yeah it's great it's no it's impressive yeah you know the way i look at it is extremely impressive and you said it was filmed in 22 days yeah they uh because zavala or i should say uh, pena and gyllenhaal they spent five or six months just riding along with lapd and that they like trained for it and stuff like that for six months and then 22 days they shot the film okay because most of it was improvs like they all the stuff the banter in the car um when they're talking about the coffee and the quinceaneras i'm assuming that wasn't scripted it doesn't look like it and that's what i love about that movie you know like when i'm sitting there and i'm watching them i'm like that's (laughs) just me and that's me and dirk yeah bullshitting in the car so as we said before they kind of fall under the microscope of this drug cartel slash gang the drug cartel basically they are telling the gang or they hire the gang to hunt down zavala and taylor right they make that phone call and say hey these two cops need to be taken care of because they're they're causing too much of a ruckus for our our business sure so you know they do what you know, and this is something you watch it and you see someone run a red light and they run from you and you go chase them down. And it's like, you got to consider these little things that any foot chase you get into anything that, I mean, it could be like Iraq or Afghanistan where you're being set up for an ambush. Right. And they do. And it actually reminds you as a real patrol officer, like don't run around corners, be mindful. Yes. He might get a couple steps on you. All you got to do is hang in there, but be mindful of corners, be mindful of running into open spaces because anyone could be sitting there ready to ambush you. Yeah, and we just dealt with this last week. You know, I I pulled over a car for a headlight out, and that was it. And we ended up finding some drugs on a gun. Like, that's just the stuff that you think is unexpected, and boom, it's there. And Yeah, you know, a simple headlight ticket, and Dirk did an excellent job of, basically, he told me as I got there, like, this dude has drugs in the car. Because he found a scale, which led to another thing. Guy had a ton of um, crack cocaine and cocaine, and he had a gun under the seat. And he had two homicides on his record. Do yeah. you know that? I didn't know about two. I saw that he was charged with one, but yeah. Two. He had two homicides. And part of me wish we had uh, asked him why he didn't shoot it out with us. Yeah. Because he know, um, from what I got from Narcs was that he knows he's going to jail. So for a long time because of this. Yeah, that's crazy. I just, in my mind, if I was him, I was just thinking like, why didn't he run? Yeah, maybe he didn't know he could run. He's a little bit older too. He's a career criminal. He's not your 19, 20-year-old. He's in his 40s, so maybe he's just... He's an OG. That guy was dangerous. Yeah. From my understanding, the narcotics guy said that guy was extremely dangerous, so good job. Yeah, um, it's unexpected. I mean, what uh, Gyllenhaal and Pena did, too, they run into that stuff, and to find the drug money and the gun, they're just like, whoa. Yeah, and again, little things. I think they find the house with all the dead bodies, with all the drugs, and that was a welfare check. That was, hey, check on my sick old grandmother who lives in this house. Right. And shockingly, that's when the shit hits the fan. That's when stuff really happens on the things where you're like, I've done how many welfare checks? Hundreds. Right. It's the stuff that you think is routine is never routine. Right. And I love how they added that into this movie. So the movie culminates with basically Brian and uh, Z trying to conduct a traffic stop on someone and they get set up by this gang and there's this enormous shootout where it's basically a whole gang. Like it looks like a whole set basically going after these two. 
Yeah, and they have it they have it planned out to set them up too, so it's a planned out to where they want to kill these guys. Right. And textbook ambush, you know, they have an aerial position as they come through a courtyard, a horseshoe courtyard, mm-hmm. and they light them up. Unfortunately, they miss, which is probably not unlikely they don't have very sense of firearms training and they're moving. It's a moving target. So it's not that unbelievable. Right. Uh, they end up uh, shooting their way out. So as Taylor says, we need to set up a base of fire and pivot, which is basically your basic break contact, which right. is you dump a magazine into whatever direction they're shooting at you, and then you run. <laughs> uh, they do that, and they get out, and they end up getting a, a massive shootout. I don't want to give up the ending, but the ending is extremely sad. It's extremely gripping. I don't know how Jake Gyllenhaal is an excellent actor. That's the one that made me go, Jake Gyllenhaal can bring it. Yeah. The, it's a really cool ending. I, for whatever reason, I don't like depressing movies. I don't like dramas. Like, if I watch I Am Sam, I'm, like, <laughs> curled up in a Snuggie with, like, a cup of tea. I don't like that, but I can watch this movie weekly. Yeah. Even, I watched it before I was a cop, and I loved it. I thought it was excellent. If you had to rank this uh, as a police officer for your police movies of realistic to action comedy, I mean, we did Hot Fuzz, Lethal right. Weapon, I mean, what would you put this in a ranking? So I would have to put this as going to have a ranking all its own because there's nothing like this in terms of reality. Like I said, they have to put like a whole career's worth of action into a movie. Otherwise, I mean, well, I would think it was hilarious. <laughs> like two guys driving around a car doing welfare checks and, you know, domestic violence cases all day. Right. They had to put the action in there. So it's not realistic in that aspect. But in terms of just what it's like to be a patrol cop, I, the best. Yeah. You can't get any better. Yeah, and I think that about does it, man. I mean, I don't. I really don't have much negative to say about it other than, like, there's a couple things. Like I told you, they, they fight with the Trey guy in the beginning. He takes off his gun belt and stuff. But other than Whoa. that, man. I know. I know you think that's unrealistic. I could see that happening without body cameras in a big city like that. I could see. I could see it happening. You know, maybe you're right it could happen too i think it happened more often too in like the early years yeah yeah i mean i've seen not to call anything out in new mexico i've heard of stuff happening like that that people will it's a respect thing i guess yeah i I mean i don't know if it's it's definitely not (laughs) i wouldn't suggest it or whatever but no and i would never do it especially the advent of body cameras right like you could never do anything like that also too showing up to roll call at the end with a huge black eye (laughs) yeah People like, what the fuck, man? I mean, that's end of watch. I, again, I don't have much to say about it. I think it was just one of the, the most realistic movies. I think the cast is amazing. Jake Gyllenhaal, Michael Pena, David Harbour, Frank Rillo, Cody Horn, Amelia Ferrara. Like, it's just a really, really good cast. And I'm, I don't think they could have done it any better, man. Yeah, and I don't know how David Ayer selected Michael Pena and Jake Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal to do it together, but I think they made the perfect combo. Evidently, from what I read, Jake Gyllenhaal... Got his hands on the script. I'm assuming his agent or manager got the script, gave it to him within reading it. Like I heard the minute he flipped that last page, he called his agents like, get David Ayer on the phone Mm -hmm. because I want to do this movie. Following that, Michael Pena actually auditioned for it multiple times. In 2011, I believe, is when they shot and cast the movie. Michael Pena wasn't as famous as he is now. Okay. And Michael Pena actually auditioned, I heard, multiple times for this. So it wasn't just like an offer they gave to him. Right. Well, that I mean... Man, I give him props. I think that he did a phenomenal job in this movie. So yeah, I would have to say uh, Z Miguel Zavala, Michael Pena's character. He's my favorite in the movie. Oh yeah, yeah, Definitely. and salty old Officer Van Hauser. <laughs> Love that guy. Yeah, the guy from uh, Stranger uh, Stranger Things. Stranger Things. He yeah. plays the uh, sheriff from Stranger Things, and I mean the guy is. And you said he's going to be the new Hellboy. Yep. So I mean the guy's excellent. The whole movie's great. So I would highly suggest watching it if you want a realistic version of what it's like to be a patrol cop. That's exciting. It also shows the boring bullshit. Yeah. End of watches for you. Yeah, so what are we going to do next week for our pop culture corner? Next week, we have The Other Guys. Oh, nice. Switching from drama back to comedy, and that's starring Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell. <laughs> oh, man, I can't. Oh, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Samuel Jackson yeah. for a split second. <laughs> it's an awesome movie. Uh, again, it, mixed reviews on that one. I love it. I think it's excellent. And also, before we leave Pop Culture Corner, I want to give a very, very big shout out to Rex Overdrive from Abominations in Technicolor. I recently listened to his Teen Wolf episode, and 
he brings up a lot of unbelievably good points about Teen Wolf. I love that movie. It's a terrible fucking movie. It's awful. <laughs> have you seen it? I have. I actually just recently watched it because it was on Amazon, I think. Yeah, I mean, he, he focuses on Michael J. Fox's character, Scott Howard. He focuses on the basketball coach, which, as a little kid, I even thought that guy was weird. Yeah. I mean, he really goes on him. He focuses on the score of the movie, like the music and how cartoonish and circusy it sounds. It's a really, really good podcast, and I would very highly suggest that episode. I think his next one's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. which is a great movie. So next we have the Call of the Week. Call of the Week. This episode's Call of the Week is going to be brought to you by me, Teddy Maxwell. Stand by. Aim for the bushes. So this uh, Call of the Week is going to be called The Shit Talker. Uh, Teddy, let's uh, let's discuss this because you and I were both on this. Yeah, we were both on this call. What stands out most about this call was that <laughs> Dirk and I were working that night. We were in a patrol van. Now, Dirk, can you please explain to the audience what the patrol van is? So it's a white Ford Econoline, <laughs> and this has zero windows on the side other than the front two passenger passenger and driver has a ladder on top with old school bubble lights that are you know you hear yeah it's like a mixture of like (laughs) a patrol van and the hearse from ghostbusters (laughs) yeah so and i mentioned before that i think we were put in this van we were riding two man we were put in this van because my sergeant hated me Right, and the patrol van was used, it was more of like a riot thing where they had a bunch of riot gear in the back, and it was used in the old days, I don't know, I think it was mostly for riot control and crowd control, and we ran, our city's cheap, so we ran out of patrol cars, so they literally had us riding in a patrol van. (laughs) To put miles on it. To put miles on it so we could like cycle it out and get a new car. The funny part was, was it the shit that patrol officers would do to this thing? (laughs) Like seriously, like rev the engine until like it hit like max RPMs. The ladder on the roof was frequently knocked off by driving through uh, the garages and low-hanging like roofs and stuff like that. It was hilarious. You know, and there was actually a catch pole in there for animals along with a cat carrier. <laughs> yeah, it was it was comical. And the funny thing was, was when you would try to make a traffic stop in that thing, people would not pull over. <laughs> and I don't blame them. That thing looks like straight-up rape panel van. Oh, yeah. So anyway, we were driving in that thing. Uh, it was about 1.30 in the morning. We get a call uh, for service saying that there's a large fight at a local 7-Eleven convenience store. So we pull up. Um, there's a large group, and they're all exiting the 7-Eleven, if you recall. Yeah. They're all walking out. So it's difficult having two officers kind of corral a number of people who don't want to be corralled. So a uh, gentleman put his head down and tried walking by me. He's carrying a backpack, and white male, probably 20 years old really slender build not a big guy by any means tries walking past me so i grab him by the backpack and i remember the 7-eleven clerk goes hey that's him and then he walked past me because i was Uh. the first one in and then that you were behind me and you tried to grab his bag so so he just (laughs) relaxed his shoulders and went limp (laughs) like a noodle and the back just the uh, backpack just slid out under his arms and he just takes off running. We're calling this the shit talker because <laughs> I gave chase immediately on foot. And I could hear Dirk behind me calling out the foot chase, which is what you're supposed to do. I right. probably should have been doing that. But Dirk is saying, you know, we've got one running. Give the direction, the description. I'm running behind <laughs> this guy. And it's kind of the only time you can talk shit to someone. Yeah. So as I'm running behind him, I'm giving chase <laughs> and I'm saying things like oh you're mine and i'm gonna fucking get you and i was about ready to pull a solid terry tate office linebacker and just take this dude down i gave him multiple orders to stop while i was shit talking him (laughs) and he kept going and he wasn't very fast i would have caught him so as i'm gaining on him i reach out fully extended arm and (laughs) then i notice that there's no ground under me (laughs) it was like a looney tunes cartoon where like the animated character is like running in midair and there's like smoke coming behind him and he takes <laughs> off. But there was no ground. I guess the grade of the pavement went down six inches, yeah. like a slant. And I didn't notice and I didn't adjust for it. So I'm running literally. I take a step and there was no ground. <laughs> and I had my fingertips just like gripping the back of his shirt. And I mean, I, you you were right there. How many rolls did I do on the ground? Oh, man. It was, I just remember hearing <laughs> you were talking shit and then boom, you know, you lost your breath because, you know, you hit the concrete and yeah. Yeah. Knocked the wind out of you. So I had the wind knocked out of me. Uh, I've reviewed the body camera footage multiple times, <laughs> and you just see it like fly off and like 
tumble. Tumble. And Dirk stopped. Dirk was going to run him down and get him, but Dirk stopped to make sure I was okay. And he eventually got away. It really wasn't a big deal. I, we didn't even have charges on him at that point other than him running away from us. We yeah. were trying to gather what happened, but... <laughs> you know, in, in in that case, if there's like a shooting or stabbing or something and everyone's trying to leave, you don't, and we really haven't assessed the situation yet. We just see people running. We don't know if we have charges. Right. So I, I, I got really banged up. I had road rash all over my knees and my arms. I uh, didn't realize until a week later, I thought I had broken ribs when I sneezed in my car. <laughs> I was waiting in my patrol car and I was writing a ticket and I sneezed and I felt like my ribs were broken. Ended up being a deep... Uh, bone bruise but nothing nothing major so Um, good thing you didn't get hurt because that i mean we had nothing so something to take out of it sure and you know in that case it that stuff happens it was funny everyone got a good laugh out of it everyone watched the camera footage of me just rolling on the ground man it felt bad like i tried doing the proper roll right and when you have all that gear on i mean all my 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 gear was all scraped up with my shirt was completely torn yeah I mean, it was, you wouldn't think, but landing on concrete like that, I mean, it really fucks you up. Yeah, you're running full tilt, man. God. So that's the call of the week, the shit talker. My advice to any other police officers out there who are listening to this podcast is don't talk shit, because if you don't catch the guy, then you look like a fucking asshole. (laughs) I know. I'm wondering what that guy's thinking. You know, hey, man, I wrote the cops. You know, what is he thinking? He's probably like, I'm fast, the fastest kid alive. Oh, my God. He was soft as puppy shit. I totally could have got him, too. Yeah. So. Well, it happens. So, Teddy, that wraps up this week's episode. People can find us on Instagram, iTunes, Podbean, Facebook, and Spotify. Two Cops and a Donut. That's T-W-O. And if you want to have it, email us if you have any suggestions for the show, email us at twocopsandadonut at gmail.com. And lastly, I'd like to give a shout-out to our sponsor, Bones Coffee. If you'd like to pick up a bag, go to www.bonescoffee.com for all of your coffee and merchandise needs. From Teddy and Dirk, we wish you all a very safe Labor Day weekend. We out. See you next time.